Hello and welcome to the Dancer's Circle. My name is Natalie Tace and this is your 10 second call. soul is vibrating high and you know it's time to go into the zone. Hello, I am really, really, really happy to have this gorgeous young dancer on the dancer's circle today with me. This beautiful, beautiful girl, Amber Jenkins, I met her during her training a few years ago, and I was super appreciative to have this hardworking, committed, talented young performer in front of me, a strong and determined young dancer who I suspect has a long and full career ahead of her. Amber moved to Sydney from a small Australian town to complete two years full-time, and From that, she went into two contracts with the Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, which is a fabulous company. She was into her second contract when COVID struck and turned the world upside down. And then what happened was a long, difficult, frustrating process to get her home. She is not yet home. She's currently in quarantine in her hotel in Sydney. And I think she has two more days to go before she can get home and get that hug from her mom and her family and and finally breathe. And it's definitely been a a long, hard process. So Amber, you're currently in your hotel, my love. How are you? How are you feeling? How much longer have you got before you get to go home? Hello. I am so excited right now. Uh, I think that's the only real emotion I have right now is just how close it is after how long it's been and how long I feel like I've been away, how close going home is. And that just makes me really thrilled. It's making it worth it, doing all this isolation. I know I'm going to go home safe and happy. Yeah, and I think your mum's going to hug you probably tighter than she ever has before. Is she? What's How's she feeling? She, she just beside herself that you're going to be home soon? Yes, there's going to be a lot of tears, I think. Um, she's been very worried about me as most of the family has been. I guess with what you see on the media, it doesn't make the whole world look very good and it seems very scary. So the thought of being stuck on a ship and not knowing if the virus was to get onto the ship, how bad that would have been. So yeah, they're they're just really happy to see me back home safe until all of this blows over and the world's somewhat normal again. Absolutely. I'm obviously, as you know, you're in Sydney, Australia, and I'm here in Italy, and we've definitely had um, a really hard time with the virus. And the media has given it to us in in overdrive. And um, apart from the fact, obviously, it was a very serious, surreal, heavy, crazy time for a while there. Luckily, there's been a light at the end of the tunnel, but I can only imagine your mum and your family uh, where they were at with their headspace with you on the other side of the world and and massive question marks over you. And that's what I want to ask you now. How was that? I mean, you're sitting there, you're floating around. Uh, I know that you changed ship several times. It was signing off, signing back on. It was a lot of confusion. But what did that feel like? What came up for you? 
Tell us about that. Yeah, so I was on the ship for 70 days without service. So when things started getting really bad, um, the cruise company said, we're going to have a 30-day pause. Just a pause. So we thought, oh, great, this is so exciting. We're going to have a 30-day holiday, no guests. We can have a break, refresh, um, and then get back to work again. So we're all sitting around the pools and all having fun, good times. It was a massive roller coaster after that, a big, big roller coaster. Basically, towards maybe a week later after we found out about this 30 days, I lost my job. Basically, they said, we cannot have you here anymore. This is going to be more than 30 days. Here's all the procedures, like how they're going to pay us and deal with the contract. But you are going home. We can't keep you here. So we were just like, that was the biggest empty f- emptiness feeling. Like that's all I've, that's all I've done since I finished full-time. Actually, that's all I've done since I finished school is dance. So I was just like, wow, what am I going to do? And this was, this was in March. Anyways, I had my bags packed, dealt with that. We're all very sad. And basically they said we, they can only allow 200 groups to get off the ship instead of the 600 or so that we're meant to be signing off. So they're asking everyone who can stay. And my flight, I looked at my flights that I had and they were cancelled. So I was like, I can't actually go home anyways. Flights from that day till infinity, basically were getting cancelled. And so then I gave up. I stopped looking and I just put my faith in the universe that I'll leave it up to the company. They're going to get me home. As much as the company tried, it took a very long time to get any sort of repatriation going. So there was a lot of ups and downs. Because you had to, you had to come out of Miami, didn't you? That was where you you were with your ship. Is that right? Yeah, Fort Lauderdale. Um, basically, mm. we would still go in every two weeks to get supplies, but mm-hmm. if you went off the ship, you weren't allowed back on, and no one was allowed back on. We even had packages that we had ordered before the 30 days that couldn't even get onto the ship. So it was very strict. We went into a 15-day cabin isolation and that's when I really started to feel a lot of emotions. I felt like a damp light Um, and I've never really felt like that before. I've always been a very strong, and I am still, I am a very, really strong person and I seem to be able able to deal with things pretty optimistically um, and I always try and spread that to others I always try and be a, a light radiate some happiness and sunshine and good energy but in and you do do that you, <laughs> I met you and that's exactly what you what you brought to the studio yeah. room absolutely but yeah 14 days I mean as you know my background's also been in the cruise industry and one sea day can be terribly long five I know when we do the transatlantic crossing which I did several times and yes. it was I think it was five or six sea days in a row and for people that don't understand what that means it, it means a lot of cabin time deck four time you tend to not go up uh, in passenger area it's and all you see outside is it's, it's a really it's a really suffocating kind of feeling. But if you know that that you've got four or five days of it and then you're going to see land and you're going to get out and you're going to breathe and you're going to walk, it's you get through it anyway. But even then, it's it's a bit it's a kind of a hard mental thing to do. 14 days cabin isolation. I've never had to experience that, luckily. And I can only imagine that I don't think people understand unless they have experienced that or worked on ships to get an insight at least. 
you would go through some serious inner work in that time and definitely would have feelings come up for you that were hard to deal with. Your anxiety levels would have been high for sure. You would have had a lot of fear coming up and it's just too much time to be on your own when all of that is going on outside. How did you, okay, I, I hate hearing that you had, you felt like a damp light, I really, because knowing how you are, how did you... How did you get through those 14 days? What were some things that you did or thought or had at your disposal? I know that the company obviously did their best to take care of you guys. What was there for you that lifted you up? Or how did you lift yourself up? So I had an epiphany when I was in this cabin isolation. I was trying to work out. I was trying to be productive. I was trying to learn a new language and all over media. It was stay at home, do this, do that. And I felt like I had to be productive with my time. I don't know why all of a sudden you get put in a room and you think you have to conquer the world, but we all had that mentality and I got sick of it. I found it very overwhelming. I wanted to go home. I saw everyone staying at home with their families. My sister's sending me videos of them having pizza nights or movie nights. And that's when I really, I never feel homesick, but I felt homesick. Knowing that there were so many people on the ship, I felt very alone. But I had this epiphany and I was like, okay, I, this is out of my control. I can either keep trying to be superwoman and try and look like I'm not hurt or I'm not scared or I'm not down or I could just embrace this, ride the roller coaster, ride out this week with being lazy. If that means I'm just going to watch movies all day and take my mind off it, so be it. I'm not going to feel guilty. And that was the biggest, it was the guilt of not dancing every day like I was, not going to the gym every day like I was, um, that I think I was challenged with. And that was mainly in isolation. I also wrote in my journal a lot. I have always been a big writer. So ever since, especially when we go in, went into the quarantine, I was writing every day, just acknowledging the feelings I was feeling and then trying to not just acknowledge them but try and seize them find solutions to them see how they could make me feel better I love that I like you've brought up some really good points and these are some of the things that I obviously go through in the dancer circle program and I think it's important to have a toolkit I always call it it's it's kind of your go-to and everybody's toolkit looks completely different but it's your go-to of things that you can do when the feelings become a bit intense or where you're in a situation that you don't have control over, you can go to and they're little little things that are going to help you navigate your way through that time or through those emotions. And again, it, it looks different on everybody. Some of the things you've brought up are definitely true to who you are. You, I know you're a writer, you're a reader. We share that in common, actually. And journaling is, is powerful. It's, it's not for everybody, but journaling is powerful. It's really good in terms of using it for purging. I actually have a drawer here full of journals that I kept all throughout my dance career. I found journaling to be doing library duty and sitting there and I'd whack out, yes. my, you know, your two, three hour library duties. I'd whack out my journal and just purge for three hours. And it's so important anyway, but I, I feel like it's definitely important for ship life because you're there, you're, you're living there, you're working there. It's all the one world. And if you don't have that outlet for yourself, it can become quite overwhelming. 
So I love that you, yeah, definitely. I love that you've brought up that as a tool and as a soul tool, journaling and writing and expressing and getting it out. And I also love that you've acknowledged another thing, which is the permission to feel and the permission to slow down. I think what happened with COVID and what happens in trauma, people do, they do kind of have a, a, a tendency to feel like they need to do it's a reaction of, okay, this is happening, making me feel A, B, and C. I need to do, I need to go fast. I need to suddenly, like you said, become Wonder Woman. I need to suddenly become super productive. Let's take on 47 projects and smash them out. And I can't help thinking that that, that sometimes is motivated from fear, from an inability and an, a resistance to just sitting and just being with the emotions. Uh, when things when things are hard, when whatever shows up is hard to be with a lot of us do the distraction method it's like okay what else can I do so that I don't have to look at this what else can I do how can I distract myself how can I be productive so that I don't feel bad about being still and so that I don't have to be still and feel these difficult emotions and this is the thing there is being still is sometimes the best thing that you can do being still requires courage it requires going inwards you will actually quite often break through and grow and develop and evolve when you simply give yourself permission to feel what's coming to you and being with it. Sometimes that's just enough. And yeah, I, I wrote a, an article recently uh, with my blog and it spoke about trauma in the times of trauma because in the last four years, four years, the last four months, I've had some things happen with me personally in the in the setting and the context of COVID in Italy, some fairly traumatic personal things. And I wrote about it and said, there were days when my initial reaction, I went into panic mode and I went into, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And it wasn't until I allowed myself to slow down, I gave myself permission to feel the things and I gave myself permission to do nothing, nothing. And that was really hard for me. And I think it's really hard for a lot of dancers because we are taught to propel forward, to be in momentum, to push through, to dance, 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 to always work hard and to keep, I think the word is movement, to keep moving. So that the idea of being still and the idea of doing nothing, although it's doing, we know it's not doing nothing. We know it's actually growing and expanding. It comes back to the definition of what working hard is. And, and this is one of the things that I focus on in the dancer circle and that I really want, uh, why I'm having these conversations with all you beautiful fellow dancers is that sometimes the doing is being still. Sometimes the doing is going inwards. It doesn't look like a million dance tutorials online. It doesn't look like taking this class and that workshop and offering this and offering that. It doesn't look like studying something for your plan B. Sometimes doing the work and being productive is just working through your own inner world so that you can come out the end of it a little bit more evolved, a little bit more grown and a little bit more expanded and a little bit more ready to face the next hurdle and the next season and the next phase and the next contract and the next part of what a dancer's career is. And as you know, that involves a whole lot of challenges and hurdles and different ways that you need to grow and embrace. Sorry, I like what you said about being, preparing yourself to keep going by stopping and pausing and going in. And I think that's what made me helped me get through quarantine is I would pause and I would sort through everything, write it all down, get a clearer image, and I was prepared then to deal with the next thing, the next part of the roller coaster. So that's 
very true, very helpful. And the other thing you said I'm going to bring up before we move on because I loved this as well, you acknowledged, you had the the courage to acknowledge that this was larger than you. It was larger than you, larger than me, larger than your cast, larger than your ship. It was something completely out of your control. And rather than try and take all that on, which I I feel we do as well, a lot of us do, you surrendered. You surrendered. You said, this is is bigger than me. I can't control this. What can I do? And what you could do is what you did. And I think that's really important too. Sometimes things are really out of our control. And if we, we try and control them, it's uh, apart from being an impossible task, it just feels like you're banging your head against a wall and you really can't get, get anywhere when you, when you see it from that perspective. So I love that you did that as well. You just, you just released control, you surrendered to the situation and you, you really did what I call self-care. That is self-care. Self-care is not always what the cliche kind of thing looks like. Sometimes self-care is watching Netflix. It's reading a romance novel. It's chilling out. It's giving yourself quiet time. It's resting, resting. I feel like so many dancers never give themselves permission to rest. And also like focusing on you. I compared myself to how other people were tackling Mm. the isolation and how everyone was tackling quarantine. And there was people who absolutely fell hard. Then there was people who were so enthusiastic, not a problem in the world, would do everything, be so happy about it. And I was thinking, wow, am I really this week that I can't be like that? Why am I not having this much energy? And I was thinking I'm doing it all wrong and I need to be more like that. And then I was battling with myself because I didn't feel like that. And when I surrendered, like you said, and I acknowledged my grieving and went inwards. I stopped comparing myself. Everyone has their own processes. Everyone recognizes things at different times or deals with things different ways. So comparing yourself to others is always going to be a big topic for dancers especially we're taught I mean we're taught from a young age to compare ourselves you you go into a class and you you're comparing yourself it's kind of it's the culture it's the way it is you go into an audition and of course you're comparing yourself because you're competing with other people for for the job I went into isolation and compared myself how silly does that sound well I think it's to me it doesn't sound silly because I've obviously been a dancer my whole life and I understand it and and it just comes back to I think I say this every episode and I say this in almost all my articles I certainly say this in the program but how we do one thing is how we do all things and you can't grow up you can't live a profession that is so comparative like we we do compare it's something that's inbuilt I would like to see it shift and this is part of why I do what I do with the dancer circle because I want to challenge some of the things that we just take as the norm and as we know comparison is is not always healthy. In fact, it hardly ever is. So the fact that you went into isolation and you compared yourself doesn't surprise me. It saddens me a little bit. What I do love though, is that you recognize that and that's where we grow and that's where we can help ourselves is when we are aware. So you were aware that that is what you were doing and you were able to shift from that. You became the observer of your situation. You became the observer of you in that situation. That's where you become empowered and that's when you can shift and change things to to better take care of yourself and and to come out the other side. And I, I love that you've acknowledged, I mean, you're, you're so young, but I love that you've acknowledged that everyone has a different process and everyone has a right to a different process. People really do react to trauma in completely different ways. And you know, I do believe in a way that most people 
will react how they need to. But I do feel some people also benefit from some tools and some help and some ideas and perspectives that maybe they haven't really entertained before, which is why it's important to have these conversations so that we can all hear and learn and grow together. So I'm going to kind of get out of COVID now um, and I'm so glad that you got through it and I, I obviously reached out to you and we had a few messages here and then you were definitely yes. in my prayers and my yeah. thoughts. Not that I ever doubted that you would get through this in your own beautiful, strong way because that's who you are. But ship life in general, let's let's talk about it. I mean, it's it's a dream life. You're living your dream. You're dancing, beautiful shows night after night. The theatres are amazing. The shows are usually fantastic. One thing I love about cruise ship dancing as a career is the versatility that you need to have and the versatility you develop because each show is different. You've got a million different genres going on. You step up into it, you grow into it. You find when you first do your first few contracts, your weaknesses become your strengths, your strengths become even stronger. You really do become a completely all-round performer. And yeah, I think I think cruise ship dance is the one of the strongest dancers in the world. And then you talk about the life you've been getting paid to see the world. You're, you're seeing places you never, I always said to my friends, I'm so grateful for my career with cruise ships. I, I'm an avid traveler. I love traveling. I love seeing the world. And I'm so, so grateful that I got to see what I did. I saw the world three times over more. I went to places I never could have gotten to on my own accord, paying for myself or I wouldn't have even thought to have gone to half the places I got to see. So let's talk about that amazingness and that realisation and gratitude that you have. Tell me about some of the places you've seen that you've loved. Tell me about what that feels like to be there and know that you, know, you are rightly so because you've worked for it, but a pretty blessed dancer. Yes, I love my job so much. Um, people have actually already messaged me saying, will you go back to ships? And I'm like, Absolutely. I do. I get paid to travel the world. I get to dance every night, guaranteed that I'll be able to do it the next week. It's amazing. And like you said, the versatility, I think that's what interests me the most. Every ship has different shows. Um, my ship that I was on had three completely different shows. I was doing ballroom. I was doing Vegas, a bit of showgirling and theatrical. And I was doing an old school all jazz so I loved it. Every show I was mixing it up and I had to, and I strengthened so many different qualities um, and styles of being a performer. Didn't you, didn't you have to also get on a hoop or a lira or some silks at one point as well and develop that yeah. side? So that was my last contract. I had never done aerial before. I looked up the show before I started and I thought for sure, that's an aerial couple. I'm going to be doing the dancing. Anyways, we get there. They say, okay, we're going to start with aerial. I was like, I'm sorry, I have never done aerial before and you expect me to do that paid? And they're like, <laughs> yeah, no, we're going to teach you. And that's the trust that they have. That's when I really noticed that I'm working now because they trusted that you're already here, you've done your training, you can pick things up. I was like, okay, I really have to work hard now. And I did. I worked really hard and I learned a lot of skills in aerial. And I was lucky enough to then perform as one of the featured couples. Yeah, it was pinch myself. It was so, so rewarding. I think cruise ship dancing is a lot of those pinch yourself moments. I mean, it's pinch yourself moments on stage when you, you're you doing an incredible show, you're working with. And this is the other thing I think with cruise ships that maybe people who aren't in the cruise industry may not know or, you know, may not acknowledge or respect 
when you're working on cruise ships as well, you have a lot of guest entertainers come on board. And I'm just going away for a moment because I really want to bring this up. You're working with a lot of guest entertainers that come on board. You're working with a lot of kind of fly-ins. You're working with different choreographers and the company obviously has their range of choreographers, but sometimes they'll bring in some external element as well to come in and do a feature show or an act or something like that. You're working with singers, you're working with artists, you're working with acrobats, you're working with mime acts and hand balance acts and aerial and whatever is going on. You're working with such a wide spectrum of really fiercely talented performers and artists and some of them with 30 years, 40 years. I mean, I, I remember working with mime artist who'd been around the world a million times and was just his one man show, got a standing ovation every single time. And you just what you learn from people that you would normally not have exposure to. If you were doing a land contract, you may not get this influx and this beautiful coming and going of such amazing people. You can learn from everybody. And when you're an, when you're a passionate soul dancer, that's exactly what you do. You become a sponge, you take it all in. I worked once with a clown who basically came from an Italian circus family. He grew up in an Italian traveling circus. He's, his whole family were all circus folk from way back. And he showed me photos and the tradition, this, this, it was just so enriching and I could go on and on and I, I don't want to because I, this is about you, but just that I just want to acknowledge that that's what you get when you're a cruise ship dancer as well. It's not just this one little show with a, a small cast and that's it. You're getting so much influence and so much exposure and so much growth and I think that is just so, so important. I think exposure is the word there. You just, you just you're like a sponge. You're getting so much thrown at you. I mean, you obviously went up into aerial and you, you never probably would have thought that that would have even been part of your dance career. And now you've ticked that box, you know, like you said, you're doing ballroom show, you're doing a Vegas showgirl show, you're doing classic jazz, which I just love. I really, I have to come and see that show. <laughs> I have to see you in that show because that's, that would be amazing. And yeah, talk, talk to me about as well, the off stage life on cruise ship, fun behind the scenes, the relationship you get to have with your cast members and seeing the work. World. Talk to me about that and how that felt for you. So obviously there's some, there's a, so many pros and then there's some cons. You don't get to go home after work and be in a completely different space. Your whole space is your work environment, your social life, your home. So it's um, hard to balance personal time, keeping genuine to yourself because you're constantly around other influences and other energies. So you always have to remind yourself, this is who I am. Because sometimes it can be hard. You get distracted which is my biggest challenge. And yeah, but then there's the pros, obviously traveling the world. Most cruise lines will some, it depends. I was lucky enough to have all of the port days off. So every time we were in port, I was able to go and explore different part of a different country. I currently was around the Caribbean and Mexico. Unfortunately, we were just about to go up to Canada and Northern America, which I was really excited for. But that's okay, maybe another time. And my last contract was actually China and Japan, which is what I found most thrilling. I never in my wildest dreams, mind you, before I got a contract, I'd never been overseas. My first international flight was going to my first con contract. So going to Japan and China, a completely different cultural experience. I pinched myself every day. I was never thought that I would ever be walking around the streets of Japan and getting served by Japanese people, Chinese people. It was such a big eye-opener to me. And that's when I realized the world is so big. And all I've been was in Australia. I'm so young. But I, I knew from that first whole experience that I wanted to see everything. I just loved 
knowing that there was a completely, it was almost like a completely different world just being a part of another country because obviously I didn't just go there for a week. We go in and out for nine months or seven months. It was a good taste of what a whole different culture and life is like. And I love that. I love that you said that. It's like it's a real opening up, isn't it? I mean, when you when you've come from from Sydney, you've come from Australia, and you get thrown into a whole new culture. Your first time. And look, my story is very similar to yours. I was from Wollongong. I grew up there. I worked professionally as a dancer in Sydney for a, a year or so, and and then my first international experience. I flew to London. I had like a week in London. I landed my first job with Costa Cruises, and I flew straight to Italy. And I mean, London, I remember walking around London and London's not a huge cultural shift from our own, but it's still a shift. And I remember walking around there just felt like I was walking three metres above the ground and my eyeballs popping out of my head and I just like this massive expansion of who I was and who I could be. It was just so expansion. I don't, I think that's just the word. I literally felt myself become a million times wider and bigger and open and it was just that feeling I've chased that feeling forever I I still chase that feeling now so it becomes a bit of an an addiction a a feeling that you want to keep feeling and then yeah flew into Italy and it was like whoa this I mean Italy definitely another shift again and and that was the that was the start of it all and and it's true you kind of you have those pinch me moments that you were saying as well with the shows. It's it's right. on and off the stage. And I've we you will definitely still see so much more of the world because it's all ahead of you. When I look back on the last 15, 20 years, I can't believe I've been to some of the places. I was talking to a girlfriend yesterday, a fellow dancer. We worked together 15 years and we were recalling, reminiscing our overnights in St. Petersburg and Russia and all the mischief we got up to then and, and, <laughs> and all the things that we did together. And we still the gratitude we have for that and the realization that it was working on cruise ships that gave us that opportunity it's oh so real and 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 you've got I just love that you've got that all ahead of you and we're going to go on and talk about thirsts so one of the things that I do in the dancer circle program is we talk about our joy connection and I'm really passionate about having dancers especially dancers that are feeling burnt out or feeling a little disconnected from their art I love when they have that light bulb moment of remembering what dance was, remembering what dance is. There's a reason that we dance when we first show up to dance and dance first shows up for us. It's not about the job. It's not about impressing other people. It's not about, it's not even about perfection. It's not, it's not any of those things. It's not noisy. It's, it's just that beautiful organic feeling of knowing that this particular expression and art lights you up in a way that nothing else has or nothing else potentially will. And it's this uh, relationship, I think. It's something that you meet and feel within yourself and you just know that you want that to evolve. You know that you want that to become who you are and you want to meet it again and again. So you started dance late, I would say, at 12. And when we spoke briefly about your first kind of dance moment when and it's not your first dance class but it's that first moment when you realize wow okay dance is a part of me and I don't want to be without it I I can't recognize myself when I'm not dancing I love what it gives to me and and you said some something really beautiful that it actually happened when you weren't dancing so can you tell us a little bit about that and how you realized that no dance was joy for you and you were going to chase it um so when I was yeah, yeah I did start dancing pretty late Uh, It took me a lot of catching up. But when I was first dancing before, through my high school years, I 
did it more recreationally. I didn't really think about a future. And like I said, I come from a small town, so I didn't even know what musical theatre was. I didn't know cruise ships were a job. I didn't know what the industry standards were. We were just doing old school, kick your leg, learn how to do the splits, some basic ballet. Um, So it was all very recreational to me, but I loved it, of course. And eventually I started getting more into ballet and I tried to, I started doing a Steadfords and pushing myself. But when I was in my last year of school doing my HSC, I gave up dance outside of school. I was doing it as my one of my subjects, so I did have to do a major. Um, but outside of school, I wasn't training. And a few things at home happened. It was a very crazy year to me. I, Leading up to my HSC, I just didn't have the mental space to even study anymore. So it was kind of around that time that I realised I wanted to dance. Through my year 12 year, I was doing a major in dance. So the only time I was dancing was working on my major performance, making a core choreography. But I put so much attention into that and I wanted to I wanted it to be perfect. I strived to get the highest mark I could and I looked forward to always working on it and improving myself in that subject. Once I did my HSC, I performed it. I was so happy I got back my marks. I topped my class and that was it. There was no more dance. And I realized that after all the subjects and studying that I did and thinking about everyone's thinking about what uni they're going to, what they're going to study, maybe they're going overseas. And all I could think about was I want to dance. I need to dance. Dance was the only thing that got me through that HSC. So I did. Um, I didn't have money to go to Sydney, like I said, small town. I worked myself to the brim to earn enough money in a year after school to be able to move myself to Sydney and pay for my tuition. So I even went to full-time a bit later than most people. Most people go straight away. Um, And for Queenslanders, they go before they're 18 because they're that year ahead of us. So I felt like I was arriving very late, but I... And I will not regret that decision to do everything I could, even if it took me a year to kickstart a Korean dance. Do you know what? I think that's, I I actually didn't know that about you. And I I think that just explains even more your determination and your strength in dance and your career. The fact that starting later and choosing it for your HSC, they're obviously empowered choices. They're choices that you've done, not because someone's wanted you to dance or told you to dance they're things it's you coming to your joy and it's you wanting to to express yourself that way and to perfect that art and the fact that it it wasn't there and you realized that's what was missing and it was just so clear for you and then you worked a whole year to save up money so that you could move to Sydney I really commend you I'm I have so much respect for you for that because I think if someone's paying for it for you or you're you're not having to kind of have any, uh, I guess, investment or sacrifice from your end, sometimes, sometimes, and again, I'm generalizing here, but sometimes it can be something that can be taken for granted and perhaps something that you don't fully realize that is what you're choosing and it's not coming from the same place. Whereas I just have images of your gorgeous face and your beautiful soul 
working for a year to save up money to do this, that little fire burning inside of you and that dream and that vision. And got to feel good, Amber. Got to feel good knowing that you've gotten there. Be so proud of yourself. And I'm actually, like I said, I didn't know that about you and that's just, I respect you anyway, but that's just heightened it even more and well done. And that's just a perfect, perfect example of when you have a dream and when you have a desire and you have You can do it and you have commitment and you have grit. Grit is a real, I love throwing that word around, but if you want to be a dancer, you need grit. You need to have that vision in front of you and you need the patience and you need to work hard. And that's just a perfect example. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. And so that just made it even better for you. When you got there to, you flew into Fort Lauderdale, sorry, Miami, actually, and you went to that gorgeous building, Royal Caribbean Studios, and you went into rehearsals and you would have had a pinch me moment there. You would have stopped and gone, wow all that work and working through that self-doubt was so worth it to be here. Like just just capture that for us. I think I was in so much shock for what I got. So basically I got a contract from anyone from Australia would know of ADF, which is the Australian, Australian Dance Festival. I got my contract from that in my second year of full time. I had a week from graduation until I flew out of Australia. So I was very lucky. I didn't have any downtime between then. I basically went from my training straight to my first job. So I was very grateful for that. But I was in that much shock that it happened for me like that. I literally had a, I had a vacation booked. I spent $1,000, <laughs> which was the dumbest thing I've ever done, to go over to New Zealand with my best friend to travel at the end of that year because I didn't I did not believe that I would be getting a job that year so considering I was all all of a sudden in Miami starting my first contract in rehearsals it took me probably two weeks to actually realize that it was wasn't a dream (laughs) I was in so much like I couldn't even think I was just like okay don't stuff up the curry um work hard go to the gym try not to look unfit I was just thinking so many things that it took me quite a while to be like, wow, where You were am having, I? having an out-of-body experience for two weeks. <laughs> out-of-body experience for sure. Do you know what, though? I think you just, in your preparation in your small hometown and your preparation to get to Sydney and then obviously your two years training in Sydney, you were sending out, you were paving the way for that. You definitely manifested that. You you sent that message out to the universe that not only were you ready for this and prepared for this, but you were going to appreciate it, be grateful for it and and run with it. I, I do believe that the universe really does conspire to help us when we're sending out that very genuine, authentic, aligned vibration. And you absolutely did that. And it's all yours, my love. And look, if I can give you any old person's hindsight um, advice, because I think I almost qualify for that now, if not already, I can't tell you the amount of plane tickets and holidays I have booked and lost because then obviously a contract came up and the whole planning for the future thing uh, when you're a dancer and you do contract life you can't it was always a running joke when I would get home and I would talk to my non-dancer friends and they would ask what so what are you doing this year or what are you doing in six months time and I would just look at them and think listen I don't plan more than two weeks ahead because (laughs) 
my life is just not that. And you really get into that rhythm of, which has its pros and cons again. And, and we can talk about that another time when we have another chat, but there's definitely pros and cons to contract life and that temporary space that you embody throughout your career. The pros are obviously life becomes very exciting and spontaneous and you, you get to live some really amazing contracts and experiences. And it's fun to live like that. It's fun to be so in the present and not have to think about next year or this, that and the other, but obviously then the cons, sometimes our brains and our mindset or our fear can creep in. It can actually be a little bit unsettling to not know what the next six months is going to look like or what next year is going to look like. So it's that constant mental battle. I do want to pick up on one thing you said, and this is going to lead into the next part of our conversation. And that is, you did say something that I'm obviously going to pick up on. Uh, you said that when you got there, you, you needed to go to the gym and you wanted to look the part and you wanted to be fit. And every dancer I speak with, we've all had moments in our career. For some, it's quite it's quite severe and it's quite problem. And this is obviously outside my scope of practice. So I'm not going to sit here and go too deep into that. But I do think that it is part of the conversation and I do want to shed light on it. A lot of us dancers do go to war with ourselves, with our bodies. A lot of us dancers go through seasons or phases where we engage in disordered eating or a distorted relationship with ourselves, dysmorphia. We start to see food as an enemy or something that we need to control. We go into a suffering state with ourselves. We go, like I said, we go to war with our bodies. We start seeing our bodies as maybe something that's betraying us. It's not doing what we want it to do. It's not looking the way that it needs to look. We have a lot of inner dialogue that completely destroys us really and can really detach us from why we dance in the first place. Suddenly dance becomes torturous. Suddenly it becomes a space that's hard to navigate through. And I want to hear about your personal experience with your body and your relationship with food, if you want to go there. And again, you know, I respect your boundaries on this. So anytime you want to pull back, you do, you share as much as you want. And then I'm going to, after you share a bit of your personal experience, I'm going to let our listeners know what we kind of came up with the other day that was such a good description of maybe the, the right way to do things. So tell me first, your experience over the years, not just on contract, but also in training. How Have you been a friend to your body? Has food been a friend or a foe? And what's been going on there for you? I definitely think I've been more of a friend to my body than an enemy. I haven't let eating disorders or any heavy challenges with my body get to me too much. Um, but obviously I have looked in the mirror and been a bit disappointed or wasn't getting the abs that I thought I would get if I did this many sit-ups. Maybe when I ate a bit too much one day, I'd feel guilty and be like, well, that's not going to help me look good tomorrow in ballet class, is it? And obviously I had that guilt, but I didn't let it really pull me down. In my second year, I told you this before, Nat, I experienced puberty late so my first year, I was so fit. I had muscles, definition. And then all of a sudden in my second year, I started getting hips, a bit more curvier, breasts. My body was changing and I was holding weight a lot more. Like I used to be able to eat whatever I wanted and not change. And then all of a sudden I was like, this bread is making me so bloated. It was very, and that in my second year was really tough. It was a very big mental challenge because I've already done a year. I didn't have that problem. And then all of a sudden, I thought second year would have been easier, but it kind of was harder. <laughs> and I obviously knew 
what I wanted to, I had this image in my head of what I needed to look like to get a job after my second year. I did not want to do a third year. So I let that battle with me a little bit. And eventually I gave up. Obviously my body was changing. I wasn't going to look like I did the year before. And I gave up on myself a little bit, stopped caring so much about what I ate, um, which had it had its pros and cons because obviously you need to fuel your body in the right ways to be fit for the job. And But you also don't want to be too strict and obviously miss out on the quality of well-being. But it kind of worked in my favor, I guess, because that's when I got a job out of it. I guess I wasn't so worried about what I looked like in the room. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there just because I and then I, I want to hear more because I know as per our conversation the other day when you got on board, obviously it doesn't stop there. It's it's an ongoing thing. The dynamics within the cast. I want to ask you about that. But before you do, I just want to say that when you were talking, I mean, language is so important. And when you said you gave up on yourself, and I I think this is the problem. I'm not judging you, my love, but I just want to pull that up because obviously we all come from the context that we've. Trained in and in the industry, I feel like there's this this idea that if you aren't dieting and you aren't restricting calories and you aren't eating carrot sticks and celery and protein shakes, and then you if you aren't doing those things to yourself and you aren't having the odd starving day here or there, if you're not looking in the mirror and hating what you see and demanding more of yourself, then you are giving up. I feel like the, the fact that you've said that, and you obviously, like you said, you're more of a friend to your body. And I love that. And I celebrate that. And I will always support you and encourage you to do that with yourself, to love your body and to nourish your body. But even your language, for example, and that's coming from someone who's relatively awake on this and has a fairly good relationship with food and with your body. Even you use the words, I just gave up on myself. And I know you don't mean that in terms of you gave up on yourself with dance or with whatever, but you just gave up on that on that path. And it, I would love to see dancers not feel like if they didn't go down that path of being in a state of suffering and, and disordered eating, that that wasn't giving up, but instead that was standing up. Instead that was love. Instead that was realising that a body that is nourished and cared for is going to produce a strong, able body that's going to be fit you're going to be in form you're going to be have the have a dancer's athletic body that's going to give you a really long injury-free radiant vibrant career your body is your tool as you said which I loved so much your body is your temple it's your instrument I mean our bodies we we use our bodies we need our bodies it's how we work and if we are at war with our bodies constantly which most of us have been at uh, various times, if not always. Like I said to you the other day, a painter doesn't go to war with their paintbrushes. They take care of them. They clean them. They use them. They know them. They love them. They use them to create their art. They're not there pulling out the hairs and, and snapping them in half or not cleaning them or leaving them out to be weathered or looking at them and sending them horrible messages. Language is so important. I would love to see that change where dancers felt like that they, I'd love to see the trend and we spoke about this the other day, but would love, we both would love to see the majority of dancers seeing that as the minority thing to do, seeing that as the harmful thing to do and, and the non-intelligent thing to do because what, what happens when we go to war with ourselves and the hateful, critique, judgment-filled, horrible words that we throw at ourselves and I, I've been there, done that for years and years and years and it took me years to, to get over those wounds and I'm still getting over those wounds. But what happens then? You become a fragile dancer. You become injury prone. You're weak. You're exhausted. There's no bandwidth or space for anything else 
in yourself other than this self-hatred and this suffering state. And I know looking back, I had big, horrible injuries that took me out of dance for eight months at a time sometimes during my contracts. And it always happened in moments where I was at the biggest war with myself. So what I do want to ask you though is, and we spoke about this the other day with cast dynamics and again, this these trends and these norms that it's normal to not eat. It's normal to have disordered eating. So we want to shift that. But when you got there and you worked with your cast and some of the dynamics that were happening in, in the cast with you, what was going on there in terms of what other dance were doing and what did what questions did that raise for you so in full-time obviously everyone around me was eating pretty well we all had our pre-packed meals good protein fueling ourselves my first contract on the ship I was kind of for the first time introduced to other people's tactics of keeping fit in their eyes some people would literally just they basically would starve themselves or deprive themselves they would only have a few sticks of broccoli for their dinner, maybe a tiny little bit of protein on the side, but it was barely enough to fit half, even a quarter of the plate. And I would just look at it and be like, wow, have I done this all wrong? Am I meant to be eating like that? I haven't been around that before. Maybe that's why they're, they're on their fourth contract. This is only my first. And I started thinking maybe I need to be more like that and that's normal. At the time, Nat- Natalie and I, we did end up talking about having that cast, what would you call it? Cast, um, like to notice what other people are doing that's not so good and being able to speak up about it and encourage. Yeah, we we spoke, yeah, we spoke about the fact that in my experience, and I did say to you, and I opened up to you about this, obviously I'm uh, come from a different generation of dancers and I think disordered eating was just so prevalent in all my contracts um, and I engaged in it as well. And peer pressure, I guess, I don't even know if it's peer pressure. It's just that something is born, the norm that's there and it activates, it's contagious. It's, you know, probably more contagious than the virus. It's it's this, you get in there and you do, no matter how much you want to love yourself, you tend to follow what everyone else is doing or you at least you, you may not follow it completely, but it does make you, as you said, it makes you question what you're doing. And then you kind of have two ways to go. You either join them, if you can't beat them, join them, or you have to somehow find the voice and the strength to love yourself anyway. And, it, and we said, and I thank you for bringing this up, but what we said is, wouldn't it be amazing if the larger, louder voices were those of us that wanted to do it through self, and I don't mean do it, but wanted to engage in a process of self-love to be able to be our most optimum, highest functioning dancer capacity? What if to do it in a nourishing way and in in an educated way of what is good for us, what is going to nourish our bodies, what is going to help us flourish as dancers and do it in a really self-loving, self-caring way? And what if that was the majority of the voice? What if that was what was leading and helping those fewer dancers who were caught up in disordered eating, who were caught up in self-critique and self-hate and obviously that process and that um, state of suffering. So, yeah, it was as you would feel in your experience and I definitely have felt in mine, I that was definitely a small, soft voice. I don't think I, don't think I ever worked in a cast where every, uh, every single dancer I've ever worked with has had some level of disordered eating and some level of suffering state and self-hate really. And I hate saying that it saddens me immensely. This is part of the reason why I've created the dancer circle program because 
now everything that I know with nutrition and health and well-being, that is not the way to go because not only are you harming your body because you are, you may get skinny or you may lose weight or whatever, but ultimately you're harming, you know, food is not just calories, food is code. It tells your body what to do with itself and how to heal itself and how to regenerate and how to function. So not only are you weakening your capacity as a dancer and, and setting yourself up for possibly a shorter career, you're also setting yourself up for burnout, for mental burnout. Out. You're, sort of, you're setting yourself up for deep wounds that are going to stay with you forever. And you, you're always, your body will present its bill and so will your mind. It's all one thing anyway, but your soul will present its bill. There, It's going to come a time where you're going to have to face that. You're going to have to sit and be with it. You're going to have to heal it. And I know I did that. I did that when I retired from death. I, and it's ta- I'm still doing that. I'm still doing that. Very deep wounds, very deep rhythms and unconscious habits and ways of thinking and language and all those things. So I love hearing that you're already there at a young age. I would love to see you lead the way, your next contract. I would love for you to find your courage and, hey, maybe maybe I can throw you some of the Dancer Circles tools and maybe you can go with that next contract and you can become powerful force and a healing force for for other dancers who are just not there so we we did speak about that what I want to ask you as well and you didn't you didn't start eating broccoli for dinner I hope I hope you kept nourishing your body I weighed it up but I thought with the show that I was doing if I ate some broccoli for dinner and that was it I would not be getting up on that silk there was no way I'd be have the energy to get through so it's keeping like your whole um, what's required of you in mind as well when you're choosing how to fuel your body. It's important. And I love that you see it that way. And I mean, look, it's hard. It's hard when you're caught in, when you're caught in that space of self-critique and self-hate and a suffering state and disordered eating. And I mean, you're looking in the mirror and you're not seeing what you really are. You're seeing something else and you get caught in that dark space. And it, it is hard for some people to get out of. And, and some people really do need professional help. And I encourage anyone who is being triggered by this conversation. If you are stuck in that dark place and you don't know where to turn, please, please, please reach out to a health professional. If you need to reach out to me and I will point you in the right direction to someone who can really, really help you because it can get to the extent I'm sure you've seen it. I know I have. I personally have not gotten, um, we won't, (laughs) perhaps I've gotten close, but um, I've been lucky enough to pull myself out of it. But some people do get that deep into the disorder that they do need help and they and we obviously we want to we want to send them love and tell them to please have that courage and make that make that call and make that connection because you don't deserve to be there nobody deserves to be there and there is light at the end of the tunnel i want to kind of start to wrap up our conversation although i feel like we could talk forever i we were chatting the other day and and you brought up a really good point and i had this chat with somebody else the other day about when you're at full time and you're training and it happens in all the major cities in the world it happens in all the dance schools in the world it happens in all the pre-professional trainings in the world sometimes even still happens in the industry but this idea that success looks like this it acts like this it is this and it's very can be a very narrow definition and a narrow on-trend look of what you need to be to be able to be a professional. And I feel personally from my own experiences and from talking with loads and loads and loads of young dancers and older dancers, uh, it tends to ascribe a lot to a commercial look, which as we know is a very, it's just one slice of the professional working sector. It's one slice of what a professional role can look like. And the world's a big place. There are so many jobs out there. I think most dancers will find their place somewhere. And if, if 
dancers are feeling like, oh, that's the look that I have to be and if I'm not, then I'm never going to make it. That's too much weight to have on your shoulders. It's too narrow. It can lead to a lot of beautifully talented, amazing dancers to leave dance, to break up with it and to feel like they're not worthy. And to me that, yeah, that's another thing that I talk about a lot in the dancer circle and I have lots of conversations about. So you you did say that you felt a bit of that through your professional training and it wasn't until you got out into the big wide world that you realized, oh wow, okay, I needed to not feel that way because who I was was always enough. So tell me about what went through your mind looking at perhaps other dancers that were the ideal and the on-trend and you feeling completely like that was not you? How did that feel like? How did you work through that? So I guess as a a dancer who came from a town that wasn't a city, I had no connections. I didn't know people. So for me, I was following people that I met through my studio and who was in the area. So I was following people who were working and making their career in Sydney this was, which is very commercial, very corporate. And the people that were coming into the studio, especially in my second year, were very, majority were commercial and part of the Sydney industry. Uh, So the information I was getting fed was basically, here's all the tools. Obviously, they trained us in a very versatile way and we learned a lot of things. But a lot of it always came back to work in the city, I guess, in the commercial world and getting an agent been this and this and this to either get any of the few auditions that came to Australia, to Sydney, or being part of the corporate world. And I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like I belonged in the commercial industry, like especially of Sydney. I couldn't see myself. I just didn't enjoy the idea of training myself for that. And I didn't really understand how much actually is out there. And if I could go back, I would have done my training knowing that I'm going to make the best version of myself. So when I go out looking for the work, the right thing is going to present itself to me rather than thinking that I was trying to try and eventually fit a mold that seemed unrealistic or a bit of a disappointment because that's all it was but there's I think I think it's you know when you when you said that the other day it was I definitely agreed with you and it it is it's a big wide world there's a place for most dancers Um, obviously you have to be trained and you have to work hard and but there really is there's so many different platforms and so many different styles and genres and theaters and spaces and it's a big wide world and definitely trying to mold yourself into something that isn't you or trying to be excited about a particular thing that you don't resonate with. It's just counterproductive and it takes you away from really developing and blossoming into your best version of yourself. And I love that you were aware of that and you decided, unlike some dancers, to just step into yourself. A lot of dancers take that as a discouragement and they can walk away from dance and it really breaks my heart every time I see it. Sorry, I just want to say I think it all came down to like the feeling of not knowing. It was just feeling lost and some people might feel trapped in that. And I kind of, I did, I felt lost because mm. I didn't really know where my calling was or what I was actually aiming towards. Um, so I guess if there's more understanding of there's things for you, you just have to find it. So whilst you may not know where that is now, you don't have to feel lost because you're still 
on your way. Yeah, I think if the focus came more on, I mean, obviously, if pre-professional schools could give you girls more uh, and guys more, maybe perhaps exposure and various different role models coming into the class and people from a wider spectrum, perhaps, of what being a working dancer looks like, because it is such a huge spectrum. I think that would alleviate some of this obsession to be on trend or be like whoever's trending in Sydney right now. And I mean, this happens, I had a, a conversation with my girlfriend the other day and she's in London. It happens everywhere. It's not a Sydney issue. So, and and again, I mean, some people do resonate with that and that's exactly where they end up and they're fabulous, amazing dancers and they contribute to such an amazing industry. So we're obviously not taking it away from that. We're just simply saying that that isn't for everybody. And it's a shame when dancers aren't resonating with that, they can feel lost, like you said, and that can be overwhelming and it can lead to disconnect and it can lead to distortion. And again, it can lead to that horrible negative talk, which obviously leads to other problems and, and just it gets heavier and harder for dancers when what they should be doing and which would be much more useful, as you've said and I've said, is that they concentrate on being the the most prepared they can be in being themselves. So what, where are your strengths? What are your weaknesses that you can strengthen? And just finding your own authentic expression in dance, because this is what I said in my other podcast, when you walk into an audition room, what's going to present itself first to a panel of casting directors and choreographers is not that you look like what's on trend in the industry unless of course it's a commercial audition, but most of the time they're not commercial auditions. When you walk into an audition for a cruise ship or for a a theatre in Paris or for a show, a musical, wherever you are, a a contract in India, a contract in Spain, in Greece, in London, wherever, what is going to present itself when you walk into the room is your energy and your intent and your authenticity. Standing in the best version of what you can be as an artist and you come at dance with joy and with conviction that you're standing within yourself and your power, that energy is so attractive. That's the energy that goes, look at me. I'm right for this job. I'm going to bring magic to that stage. I'm going to work hard and I am who I am. If, if you walk into an audition room and you're trying to be something you're not, and this goes with life in general, if you walk through life trying to be something you're not, apart from the fact that is no fun, nobody has fun doing that. The energy that you give off to other people is awkward. It's uncomfortable. No one really knows what to do with that. So you can be, I mean, let's just go into it. You could be the thinnest. You could be the on trend. You could be whatever. But if your energy doesn't support that, if your energy isn't true and isn't who you are, you're not going to be attractive to anyone casting you. You won't get looked at. Energy won't come to you and you are going to have a really horrible time. Okay, that's not fun. And we've all been there. Like I've definitely throughout my career tried to be something I'm not. And then obviously I've had some really, I figured it out eventually, but I I think I've been a bit like you in a way, Amber, especially after a first few contracts, I threw that in. I decided I wasn't going to try and be something I wasn't because it hurt too much. It was frustrating. It took too much out of me. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to let dance go. So I had to make that decision of how I was going to show up for dance. And it certainly wasn't going to be in an inauthentic way because otherwise I was going to have to break up with dance and that was never going to happen. So yeah, I think just be yourself, just be you. And I know that you said that the other day as well, that, that you just loved that. You were just like, I just want to be me. In debt. And you know, that's worked well, out for you, yeah, hasn't I'm not it? Not doing too bad so far. Good. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
I would say you're doing beautifully well. And I, like I said in the intro, you're going to have a beautifully long career. At the moment, we've got a bit of limbo land and this is where we're going to finish up our conversation. You've got a bit of limbo land and this is not the first time we've connected through a limbo space. This is one of the things I talk about in the dancer circle and I provide tools for dancers of how to get through limbo land and how to keep yourself growing and expanding, quietening some of that noise and fear and insecurity that can come through. So we're talking about downtime. So we're talking about injury times. We're talking about between contract times. We're talking about when one contract ends and perhaps you don't have the next one lined up and you've got a few question marks going on, how to kind of stay through that. And I know your last limbo time was between contracts. And although you knew you had your second contract coming, but you still had some of those voices and question marks come up for you. So being that you've been through it and you're going through it now and you are a strong girl, you have a beautiful, authentic voice. I would love to hear from you if other dancers are listening right now and they're feeling overwhelmed by this level of uncertainty right now or they're having injury times or, you know, they haven't even had their first contract yet and they're sitting there feeling like, wow, like when's it going to happen and going through all those, those inner, that inner torment, what's something you would, you can kind of say to them, look, this helps me when this happens or try and some advice, go on. Between my two, my, my contract I was just on and my first I was very lost. I had no idea what to do with myself mainly because I was out of full time now. I didn't have classes I could go to. I wasn't working on a ship every day knowing my schedule. I was free for the first time in a long time and I had no idea. I wasn't really prepared for it. So I spent a lot of time just wandering around and I thought, great quality time for three months with my family. So three months was a bit too long of just that waiting but this time I am more prepared to occupy myself to keep myself I guess not distracted but keep myself occupied through this time like kind of having a side job just something there that I can keep working on whilst I'm still working towards whatever's next keeping my if that's just dancing around stretching doing some exercise a big thing I learned on my last contract was it's better to keep prepared then have to get ready again. Exactly. I love that. Definitely, definitely. You've got to stay in your preparation. You don't want to take 10 steps back because it's far harder. I mean, you can take one or two steps back, but we certainly don't want to be taking 10. And and that's a really good thing. And I think as well at the moment with the industry being the way it is, there are ways to stay there. I think it's important to keep your vision. It's important to have that, that knowledge that you will go back to it. Or if dancers haven't yet started, it's there for you. Just work on when preparation meets opportunity. Keep yourself prepared so that when opportunity presents, you're ready. Not that opportunity presents and you found that, oh, wow, hang on a minute. I've disconnected from dance. I haven't been training. I've been putting all my time and energy into something that has nothing to do with my dream. And this is the thing. Fear can come into play and uncertainty and we walk away from our real vision and our real dream. And then it's always Murphy's law and opportunity will present and you think, oh, oh no. So yeah, definitely stay prepared. I also feel like staying connected with other dancers can help, especially uplifted, motivated dancers stay connected with them do some creative projects I always encourage with the dancer circle as well is where else are you creative I'm a big advocate for not defining your absolute identity on dancer you are other things too you're a friend you're a daughter you're a sister you're a girlfriend whatever whatever I mean in my case I'm a mother there are other things about me that aren't dance and and I think downtime without losing your vision or walking away from your preparation you can also look at okay well where else can I find joy where else am I loved and I can be loving 
it's really important to give yourself those things too because when dance is taken away from you like right now or in injury time if you've completely wrapped your identity and yourself around dancing every day and being on stage and suddenly you don't have that that can be a really cold slap to the face that can be really hard to work through you can you can easily dive into a complete self-worth dilemma. So I always encourage dancers as well. And again, if dancers you're listening and you're finding that it's this is a really hard time for you, experiment, have a play. Where else can you find joy? Where else can you find creative expression? What other skills can you learn right now? And, and solidarity, reach out to other dancers. Everybody's kind of feeling similar things. Lift each other up, have a laugh, do a creative project and make it for you. Don't do it for social media. Don't do it because you're going to get 100 likes or whatever. Social media is not real world it's fun and it's playful and it's a good way to connect and I think some really important messages can get out there as we're seeing right now with what's going on in America some people can get informed and educated from social media and I, I use social media I back it up but real living and real life some things need to be most things need to be done for you in that moment and not because you're going to post it on social media so yeah I think it's important to keep expanding and growing as well as as we spoke about at the beginning of our chat Allow yourself the downtime, the white noise time, the doing nothing time, the being still, going in. It's okay. It's okay to slow the pace down because that's sometimes what we're needing. That's sometimes where you'll get your biggest breakthroughs and your biggest expansive moments, yeah, is in that stillness. So, my love, I'm going to jump into a really fun thing to close up our chat. It's just some flash questions, nice, fast pace. Just say whatever comes to your mind first. It's just a bit of fun. Are you ready? Yes, yes you're ready. You're ready. You got your dancing legs on okay vegas paris or broadway broadway showgirl or lyrical showgirl commercial or cabaret cabaret land or sea contract um at the moment sea russian red or nude russian red always always headdress or backpack um i haven't tried a backpack yet so oh yes no i haven't wow i find that wow well once you go backpack you never go back i'll put it that way especially the bigger the bigger the better the bigger the better headdress all right sequins or diamantes i'd say diamantes yeah i can see you as a diamantes girl full out or marking full out yes always and forever more <laughs> full out i'm oh, sorry i just asked that lido or crazy horse i think Lido. Serious sultry headshot or smiling next girl next door headshot? I cannot do the first, so definitely the second. <laughs> it's funny because everyone I'm speaking to, and this might be just because I'm, uh, my friends are like this, but everyone has said smiling headshot. So yeah, I love, I love that. I love that people respond with that. Mind you, ser- no, serious and sultry has its place, but it's definitely not my thing either. Uh, are you the first one ready backstage or the last one running Always backstage? The by an hour. Keep that up because it will keep you in work. I cannot say the same for myself, but let's just move on to the next <laughs> one. To can can or not to can can? To can can. Yeah. And you do a killer can can. I'm going to say that your can can is phenomenal. I love it. And you're going to can-can for many more years yet. So now we're going to go into our final little finish these sentences. So just we're going to get a little bit deeper and a little bit more soulful on this last section, my love. So dance is. Dance is the truest form of, I guess, who you are. And that's for me, um, my truest form of who I am. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to quote unquote that. Absolutely. 
finish this sentence. When I dance, I feel free. I feel I feel stuck lost in time. Dance has taught me a lot of patience, a lot of drive, a lot of motivation, a lot of uh, resilience. I think dance has taught me everything. Yeah, it's it's a teacher, that's for sure. If I could challenge a norm in the industry, it would be. Yeah, I guess the learning everything. So, but a norm would be for me the doubt when you walk into an audition room. I think it took me a lot of auditions to realize, and we already touched on this. You present yourself the most when you're when you trust yourself. And you know who you are and you're walking in as yourself. Yeah, it would be it would be nice to see a whole lot more. And again, it is maybe a maturity thing, it is maybe an experience thing, but I still feel like young dancers, I would like to see more empowered young dancers coming through. I would like to see it more included in programs and in that initial first steps that you're taking in the industry and in that whole audition cattle call and castings. I agree with you. It, the norm at the moment is a lot of self-doubt. It's a lot of dancers trying to be what they're not. It's a lot of negative mind talk and disordered this, that, and the other, and a lot of self-critique. And it's very heavy, heavy weight for dancers to be carrying when they're trying to express the truest form of themselves and be creative and and be in their in their joy. So I agree with you 100%. And I'm trying to do that with the dancer circle with these conversations and with my program. I would love to see, yeah. I would love to see more empowered dancers work, walking through those audition doors and realizing that it's standing within who they are that is going to be the most attractive thing for them to do. And Amber, it's people like you that you're young and you're figuring this out. You are going to make an impact on dancers that you work with. Other young dancers are far more inclined to listen to you talking than to me ranting on because they're going to re- they're going to resonate with you. They're going to connect with you. So you be the light the light worker, my love. You be the the light warrior. And every time you speak to other dance, stand up and and speak this truth because you have a power and you have that ability to empower other dancers. And I'm I'm just so proud of you. And this is precisely why we're having this conversation right now because I I've seen this in you. I've watched your journey. Um, and just from the moment that you walked into the rehearsal with me, I saw that within you. It's it's a light. It is definitely a light. And I, I'd love to see you keep shining that first and foremost for yourself, but then obviously for other dancers around you. To finish off, and then we're done, one word that best describes your true self in dance. Just one word. Mm, one word. That's hard. <laughs> One word that describes me in dance. I know. So either something you feel or something that you think is just that, just when you're dancing or when you think of dancing you, it's that word. Genuine. Yeah. Genuine. Love it. Love it. It's your truth. You're standing in your truth. I love it. Absolutely love it. And I love what you stand for. I love where you've come from. I'm even more excited about where you're going because lucky you, you're at the start of your career. I'm going to my room in two days. (laughs) And I'm sorry, I'm I'm not even thinking of that anymore. I'm thinking about the time when you're going to be on the stage next and I'm going to make sure because we were were actually in Miami together at the beginning of the year. You know that, don't you? You, Yeah, yeah, I I was docking every Saturday in Miami and I could see your building. So it was obviously a bit of a hectic time, but next time that happens, we will have to have lunch together and catch up because it's only a matter of time. And I will get to see you on stage again. I absolutely will. That is going to happen. I've obviously seen you perform already and I think you're an amazing dancer, as you know, and I will encourage you forever and a day. Uh, Keep shining that light keep being exactly who you are. And I'm so excited for you to be home with your family. Uh, hi, Amber's mum. <laughs> She's, you've done a good job. She's a beautiful, beautiful soul. 
and yeah, I, I'm feeling warm and happy just thinking about the hug that, that you guys are going to have. So Amber, my love, I'm here for you. Thank you for coming into the dancer circle today and standing in your truth and sharing your vulnerability and shining your light on all of us and enjoy that hug. Enjoy that trip home. Stay safe and keep shining. Thanks for having me. Of course, my love. Of course. Big hugs. Take care. Be safe. Ciao. Thank you.